Right this morning, I'm going to be continuing with a series that we are doing on faith practices. And this week, it's a faith practice about remembering what it means for us to remember. So if, if you've been with us through the summer on this, we are doing 12 of these faith practices, and we are so close to the end now. In fact, next Sunday is the last one. So that's how close to the end we are. And perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this has not grown something that feels repetitive or weary or, or now becomes cluttered in your brain. We've talked about so many of these. How am I supposed to keep these all straight? But we'll, in the fall, as we begin some of our adult education classes in small groups, uh, we'll have opportunities to circle back to some of these and find some deeper roots within them. So today then, continuing with a series that talks about remembering. I'm going to be reading a few verses that come from the book of Joshua. Let me set the context around this. Here's the scene that we see in Joshua. That it was the time when God's people were rescued from slavery out of Egypt, and then Moses brought them across the Red Sea, and then they went... They went to Mount Sinai. They got the Ten Commandments. From there, they go to the border of Canaan. That's about three months for that journey. When they get there, they send in 12 spies, representatives, to sort of do the recon, to check out the land ahead. Joshua is one of those 12 people. Well, these 12 spies come back and they report and Joshua and one other person, Caleb, say, we can do this. God is with us. The other ten among them say, we cannot do this. The people there are too powerful. We cannot enter that land. And they convince all the people of Israel to not go in. So from there, all the people of Israel turn around and they go back into the desert and they stay in the wilderness for 40 years wandering there. That entire generation of people, except for Joshua, dies in the wilderness. And a new generation of Israelites is born in the wilderness. They come back to the border again, and this time Joshua takes command of the people, and they cross over. As they cross into the promised land with this new generation, they, they swing around and they come in from the east. So they're on the far eastern side of Israel. And one of the first things they get to then is the Jordan River. In order to get into what is most of the land of Canaan, they have to cross the Jordan River. They happen to be at that point, the Bible tells us, during flood stage. It's the time of year when the rains would have swollen that river so that it was larger than normal and the current was stronger than normal. I know here in Michigan, the land tends to be pretty flat. So the Grand River, most of the Grand River, right, it just sort of trickles along as you go, even though it's a large river. But we have to think of the Jordan River here as a thing that it, it was a large river, but especially at this time of year, it was moving fast. The kind of current where if people went into it, it would sweep your legs right out from under you and you would be carried away and not be able to survive that. So 
perhaps a few skilled people could cross it, but there was no way an entire nation of people are going to cross this river at this time of year, especially considering that they had all of their children with them, all of their belongings, right? Their, their flocks and their herds, their tents, their possessions, everything with them. It wasn't going to happen. There's no way they're crossing. That's what they come to. And that's where we see the story here today in Joshua 4. The instructions that God gives is this. He says, I want you to have the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, go down to the bank of the Jordan River, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the river stops flowing. Not in the sense of it just freezes, but somewhere upstream, the flow of water is cut off. And it stops coming down. So, so all the water that's in the river just sort of trickles on its way out and dries up. The priests then, with the ark, they go down to the center of the riverbed and they stand there. They stay put. And they stand there with the ark of the covenant until all the nation of people pass through and cross to the other side. And then this is what happens, and this is where we'll pick it up in chapter 4, the first nine verses. When the whole nation had crossed, had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them, take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my office, there's a, I have bookshelves in there. And I went to grad school at seminary during a time when more and more books were published electronically. So... I actually have about three-quarters of my theological library on my computer, not actually in a book, like a printed paper book. And often yet today, when, 
when a book by someone is recommended to me, I will go look first for, is this something I can get on Amazon Kindle and read electronically first before I would go get a paper copy? Or whenever any of my favorite biblical commentators write a new commentary on the Bible, I'll look if I can find it electronically for the software I use for Bible study before I would buy the paper copy. That's just sort of the era I live in now with that. But as a result, the bookshelves in my office, they do hold some books. I do actually have some paper books, but there's quite a bit of empty space on those bookshelves. I've tended to fill that space with other items. Some of it decorative knick-knack, but not too much. Most of the items between all the books on my bookshelves are items that carry some other kind of significance. They're items that tell something of a story of something in my life at some point. They hold memory. They remind me of things. Things like there's pictures of my family there that are on the bookshelf that I see there. Photos of some of the places that I've been to visit that are important to me, that remind me of where I've been. Some other things that hold memory in a certain way. For whatever reason, when I was young, very young, my my favorite childhood toy was Lego bricks. And I happened to hang on to the very first Lego set I was ever given as a child. And it's on the shelf in my office, in the bookshelf. A Lego set from 1976. Or some of the things that have been given to me. A friend of mine who's an artist who gave me a clay pot that he made on one of those potter wheels uh, in a special style called Raku that holds some significance or a marble box inlaid with decorative stone that I picked up while I was traveling in India. Different things that all come together to tell a story. That if you look over all those little items that are on the shelf in my office, you catch a little glimpse of who I am, part of my identity, carried in the memories of those things that we see. I'm not unique that way. I know I'm not. Because I know that in every single one of our homes, we have things that we put out because they convey memory of some kind. Right? They tell something of a story of who we are as people. They share something of what's important to us, what's meaningful, where we've been, what we remember and how we hold on to that. We do that in ways that not only share that for ourselves, but as a reminder for others when they come in to our homes as well, to see something of that picture, that reminder of who we are. Memory and remembering has a place in our lives. And today we consider what that looks like as a faith practice. How is a faith practice of remembering something that builds us as disciples of God?
we can see that taking place in this story as it comes to us. I want to point out a feature in this passage that maybe helps us unpack this a little bit and bring this together. In verses 6 and 7, there's something of a, a bookend that takes place there in the way Joshua tells this story, the, the command that's given here, just in those two verses. What I mean by bookends is it, it's a couple of verses where you've got things on both ends and then they sort of work together to the middle to where the main point is. It starts with this. These things are to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask. So it, it starts with that sign, that memory, something to remember. When they ask, what do these stones mean? So then it moves towards the stones. Tell them, the flow of the Jordan was cut off, talking about how the river stopped, before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's the middle point. And when it crossed the Jordan, it being the Ark of the Covenant, now we're working backwards again. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, going back to the water. These stones, back to the stones again, are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The, mo the memory. See how that passage worked just in those two verses. On both ends, it talks about the memorial, the remembering, the memory. From there, it moves one step in to talk about the stones. The stones are the thing that sort of jar that memory, hold a significant piece of that memory. From there, it moves another step in. The memory that it carries is the way that the water of the Jordan was cut off and stopped flowing so the people could cross. And from there, it moves to the very center because the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was at the center of it. That's a key point, that the Ark of the Covenant was at the middle of this. So this memorial this pile of stones that Joshua sets up, it's not just the reminder of, and here's where our people crossed over the river. It is that, but not just that. More importantly, more significantly, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the middle when that happened. Now, let's remember something about the Ark of the Covenant. That I mean, there wasn't anything magical just about that by itself. But this was during a time when the people, when they traveled through Israel, they had the tabernacle, right? That tent that they would set up that was sort of the temple for their time as they moved. Inside that tabernacle, they had several rooms. And the innermost room in that tabernacle, the room called the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant would be. And that would be the place where the very presence of God would dwell. That's what the ark meant to them. That the ark of the covenant was symbolic of the very presence of God. So wherever the ark would go, the presence of God would go. The significant piece that they see here then is that when the Ark of the Covenant goes down into the Jordan, it's the presence of God that moves down there. The presence of God is what 
cuts off the flow of the water so the people can go. The reminder here then, the memory, the memorial, is something about identity. The identity of God's people, the people of Israel. That you are people for whom God is present at your very center. It is core to your identity and who you are that God is at the center of that identity. That's the memory to carry. That's the reminder. That's the reason why God gives the instruction to Joshua. Take stones, have them set up so that this can be a a reminder. So when future generations ask, what do these mean? The answer, the real answer is, these stones are the reminder that we are the people of God. Because God's presence exists at our very center with us. That's the reminder. That's what the memorial is. It carries forward in ways that we see. So if we were to skip ahead in the Bible, you get to the Gospels and you read about Jesus. And we've got all the Christmas stories of Jesus' nativity and his birth. And, but when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, when he starts his teaching and miracles, when he calls his first disciples. Before Jesus does any of that, the very first thing Jesus does as his act of earthly ministry is he's baptized. And we read about that in the Gospels. That Jesus goes to be baptized. And the story that we read of that in the Gospels is he goes and he finds John the Baptist who's doing this by the Jordan River. Now, I imagine a few things here. And I say I imagine it because I don't think that you can find this anywhere in the Bible. It's not really in the Bible because we don't know the exact location where the people of Israel crossed the Jordan. And we don't know the exact location where John the Baptist was baptizing people. But here's what I imagine when I picture that story of Jesus being baptized. When I imagine that story in my head, I imagine that somewhere by the banks of the Jordan River, there's a pile of 12 stones. And it's there. It's the reminder. And what What Jesus is doing when Jesus goes to be baptized is he's entering in and reenacting the story, becoming part of the story, just as the people of Israel went down into the Jordan River and came up again. Now Jesus himself goes down into the river and comes up again. A baptism that takes place there that displays the very same thing that those stones were meant to display. The very presence of God right there at the center. For the time of Joshua, that was the Ark of the Covenant. In the Gospels, it's Jesus who is now 
the very presence of God at the center of his people. Crossing the Jordan wasn't the first time that happened either. You could take the story a little further back when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and that first generation came out of Egypt. The very first thing they had to do was cross the Red Sea where the same thing happens. The waters part. The people go down into the sea and come up again. A symbolic baptism that happens back in the Old Testament where God, in effect, baptizes his people as they come out of Egypt. And then a whole generation later, baptizes his people when they come into the promised land of Canaan. And then several generations later, with Jesus, a baptism that signifies the same thing. The presence of God at the center of his people. We see that as a memorial. And the people needed that. If you know anything of your history of the Bible and how the people of Israel were, how quickly they forgot. Yes? How quickly they turned away. After the book of Joshua comes the book of Judges. And if you read the book of Judges, story after story, the people forgot about God and the ways of God and turned away. And God would send someone to rescue them. During the time of the kings, you would have kings who would focus on God and be loyal to God. But then you would have kings who would turn away and forget God. The people would forget. As the history of the Bible proceeds, you have the Assyrian captivity for the northern kingdom. Then you have the Babylonian captivity for the southern kingdom. As time goes on, the people are released from those captivities and they come back and they have to remember with people like Ezra and Nehemiah who rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. They have to remember again who they are. They have to capture that identity back of being God's people. It's important to set up things that help us remember. Because I don't know that it's necessarily the case that every time the people of Israel turned away from God, that it was a conscious rejection. I don't get that feel when I read those stories in the Bible. I don't get the feel that God's people said, you know what, God, we're done with you. So we're just going to walk away. That's not the way those stories are told. Those stories are told in a way where it seems much more the case that the people simply forgot. It fell from their memory. They forgot who they were, their identity in God. So they had to capture that back again in memorials like that. We do that too. Yet today, we have things that in our life as God's people catch some of that memory, relive that story that we're a part of. In fact, just last week in church, we did one of those things. 
the sacrament of communion. Whenever we take communion as a church, it's a memorial. It's a reminder. It's one of those things that's set up that says whenever you do this, you remember something. And we, we talk about what we remember in communion. Well, yes, we remember that Christ gave himself for us on the cross. We remember that in the bread and in the juice. But it points to other things as well. That communion is also something we do together as a church, as God's people. And it reminds us as God's people that we are God's people. Our identity is rooted in God. And we look forward in communion to what the Bible talks about and puts in language as being a great banquet when Jesus returns to make all things new. Those are things that communion reminds us about that aren't just stories, but they're part of our identity, part of who we are as God's people. Stories like that help us understand and embrace who we are. Israel needed reminders for that. And so do we in our world, too. So what does that look like for us today? What is it that you and I can do that helps us remember our identity in Christ? As we've been working through this series on faith practices, I know many of us have a booklet that helps us with that. And this week there are some of those suggestions in that booklet. Or if you have a bulletin today, it shows in the sermon notes there the website where you can find those things. Suggestions for, here's some things that you can do and consider and think about as ways of practicing memory as a faith practice as a reminder of our identity, of who we are in Christ together. We do that together. One of the documents that we, some of us know well, is the Heidelberg Catechism. It, it's a 500-year-old it's a statement that talks about what we believe as God's people. But I love the way that the Heidelberg Catechism begins with identity. It begins with a statement of, now let's talk about who you are in your identity. That first question, a question of what is your only comfort in life and in death, doesn't feel like a question of identity, but the answer goes there. Not just to talk about the things that give me comfort in my life of faith, but a statement of identity of who I am as a person of faith. That I am not my own, but in body and soul, in life and in death, belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a statement of identity. That's a reminder a reminder of who I am. So in this world that we live in, whenever 
We face the tensions, the distractions, the things that pull us aside. That reminder is always there that I belong to Jesus. Or when we face choices that go in many different directions, the reminder is there that wherever we go, I belong to Jesus. That when you face times in life that maybe feel isolated or alone or you're asking the questions of, God, where do I belong in this world? And I'm struggling to find that place of belonging. The reminder is there. I belong to Jesus. In times when I'm confronted with my own shortcomings, failures, my sin, that causes destruction in my life and in the life of others around me. And I wonder, have I fallen too far away? The reminder is there. I belong to Jesus. That core reminder of our identity is always there. It's what we see in this practice of remembering that it always circles back to remind us again and again, you belong to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the way that in your word you have demonstrated all the ways that memory serves in our life of faith. Thank you for the ways that the people of the Old Testament were able to see that and set that up with reminders of who they were as your people. And thank you for the ways that we yet today see those reminders of who we are as your people. And God, we pray that as we consider in the days and in the week ahead here how we might catch something of that memory as part of a faith life that grows and strengthens. May it always be the reminder that we belong to you. Thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you please stand?